Well, you may be seated with everybody else there. God is a good God. He's a great God. He's able to do anything. I don't know if you're aware of that, but there's nothing too difficult for the Lord. That's what it says, right? Amen. Well, we are in the book of Acts. We're concluding the book today. And uh, just taking you back to the beginning, Jesus has already been crucified. He appears to his disciples, and uh, he has some direction for them to go and wait on the Holy Spirit and uh, talks about the kingdom of God and what he wants to do in these days. And so Paul, the apostle at the uh, appropriate time, hears from the Lord, and he goes out, and he goes through many diff different journeys preaching the gospel, and his desire was to go to Rome. That was where he wanted to go more than anything else. It's interesting that he wrote the book of Romans about four years before he got there, uh, wondering maybe if he'd never get there. But uh, probably the book of Romans, if you haven't read it lately, is an amazing book about the gospel of Jesus Christ, probably the most uh, clear uh, presentation that the Apostle Paul had about what he shared wherever he went because he, he starts by bringing people to Christ in the beginning of the book and then he goes on and tells you how to live <clears throat> the Christian life and uh, how all of the gifts of the Spirit, all kinds of things uh, are working in their life. So read the book of Romans, kind of follows up there with the book of Acts and he's on his way to Rome. Uh, he's going to make it eventually and he has been incarcerated, we know, for the last few years in Jerusalem. And then they put him on a boat, and there's a little bit of trouble on the boat getting to where he wanted to get. Uh, he lands in Malta, and the whole crew is saved there in Malta, and then God takes him beyond that. So that's kind of where we start today. Uh, he's on Malta. He's been waiting there for three months. Uh, when we travel, it seems like that well, we can get on a plane and we can be on the West Coast in a few hours. Uh, it wasn't that way back when Paul was on planet Earth. It took a long time that Jesus walked from place to place. And uh, Paul the Apostle took a boat from place to place. But it wasn't a quick travel. It was a slow process of getting there. And when I think about that, it's amazing what God was able to do without automobiles, without trains, without planes, uh, all of the things that he was able to accomplish without digital TV, without all kinds of things that we use today, God got his message across. Sometimes we think it's uh, a little bit complicated to get his message across, but it's not. It's very simple, and we don't need all of the technology that we have today in order to accomplish that. It's great that we have it because it reaches more people, accomplishes, I think, a greater uh, dimension, but... Going back to simplicity, if you just think with me a minute, simplicity of life. Do you ever wish that your life was more simple than it is now? A few heads are nodding. Yeah, we're just, I mean, you're so caught up in so many different things today that it's just nice to kind of pull back and, and say, let's go back to simplicity rather than all of this complex life that we're living. Well, Paul was there. And he was on his way to Rome, so let's start reading here in verse number 11 of chapter 28 of the book of Acts. It says, at the end of three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island and which had twin brothers for its figurehead. Let me just say that this boat had uh, idol gods on the front of its boat. 
many things in that, in that time had all kinds of idols that people would worship. They put it on their boats. They put it on all kinds of things. And uh, we're living in a society today that has all kinds of idols as well. Uh, it's very similar to that day in some ways. Uh, and Christianity comes in the midst of that. And we're going to see today how Christianity comes in the midst of even political situations and does an amazing job of reaching people. It's simplicity. It's from person to person, generally, how that happens. It, it isn't a complicated thing. It's what God has said with us as we share with others that uh, comes to reality. Verse 12 says, after we put in at Syracuse, you can follow those lines there, we stayed there for three days. From there, we sailed around and arrived at Regum. Uh, and a day later, south winds sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Petoli. There we found some brethren, which were invited to stay with for seven days, and thus we came to Rome. It's interesting that when they get to this place, they found some brethren, and those brethren invited him. Now, remember, he has chains on. He's on his way to uh, be jailed there in Rome, but yet he finds some brethren, and they say, come and stay with us for seven days. Now, we know that there was a soldier with him that kept guard over him, and it's just interesting to me that they're able to spend a week with his brethren before they go on to Rome. I don't know about how that strikes you, but it sounds like simplicity to me. Uh, evidently, the Roman guard that was in charge of Paul at that time uh, was very favorable to Paul, and it seems like that they are very favorable. He was a Roman citizen, so they gave him more opportunities to do things that maybe a normal criminal wouldn't uh, be able to do. So they stayed there for seven days with these brethren, and then it says that they went on. And the brethren, when they heard about us, they came, this is verse 15, came there as far as the market of Apius and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and he took courage. He meets brothers here and there all over on his way to Rome. And then even when he gets to Rome, he finds some people there. Again, he wrote to the Roman church. And so I'm not sure how many people read that book, but there was a significant group of people that knew Jesus Christ, that followed the book of Romans, and now they wanted to meet this guy by the name of Paul. They had never met him before, didn't understand anything about him. They had no internet pictures of him. Uh, they didn't know what he looked like. Uh, all of those things that we just take for granted today, they had none of those things. So think about simplicity, because I want to bring us back to the simplicity of our lives and what God wants to do with us today. In verse number 16, it says, When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who was guarding himself. Again, because he was a Roman uh, citizen, he had privileges that others didn't uh, benefit by. In fact, when you talk about the, the end of his life, it's thought that, at least historically, that he lost his life by being beheaded. And as bad as that sounds, it sounds like that because he was a Roman citizen, they put him to death more quickly than hanging on a cross. Because Peter, when he went to Rome, traditionally, he was hung on a cross, didn't want to die like Jesus, he wanted to die upside down. I don't know why, but 
The suffering just of being on a cross would be unbelievable. But, but Rome treated Paul in a very kind way because he was a citizen. So he had an advantage there that maybe some other people didn't have. Verse 17 says, After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews, and when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, Though I had done nothing wrong against the people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So he's making appeal to these Jewish people, that he had, the leading brethren uh, that were Jewish people. He wanted them to know that he wasn't against anything to do with his nationality, nothing to do against the law, against the prophets, nothing to do. He wanted to be accepted by them. And so when he called the Jewish people, he goes through this introduction that was very open and welcoming to all of the Jewish people. It says in verse 18, when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. Verse 19, but when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. So he being a Jewish person, even though he's a Roman citizen, he didn't want to in any way put down the Jewish nation or anything to do with their past, with their history, with what they followed in the word of God. In fact, he goes on and says, verse number 20, For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and speak to you, for I am wearing the chain for the sake of the hope of Christ. No, I didn't say hope of Christ, sorry, hope of Israel. I'm wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. He could have said Jesus, but he didn't want to do that. He wanted to draw them in. And sometimes when we talk to people, we need to be conscious about the kind of language we use, whether we're going to put them off or whether we're going to draw them in. So here Paul the Apostle understands his Roman citizen, but he understands his citizenship as a Israeli as well. So when he says, I'm wearing these chains for the hope of Israel, what he's saying is that I'm here because of the Messiah. And whether they understood the fullness of the Messiah there, but they understood the hope of Israel, and that is the Messiah's coming. They were much attracted to that kind of a conversation rather than starting out by saying, Jesus is my Savior and I want to share that with you. That probably wouldn't have got him the same audience that he got later. So he used, not entrapment by enemy, but he used proper language and proper words in order to draw them together. And this is what happened. Goes on and says there in verse 21, Thus they said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. We haven't heard anything bad about you. However, the next verse says, but we desire to hear from you what your views are for concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. Now, they talk about this sect as being this Christian group of people that were not acceptable in the Jewish understanding because they've moved aside from following the law seemingly, from following the Old Testament, and they were concerned with that. And so they wanted to continue to be Jewish people, they wanted to continue to follow the law, and they wanted to continue to be who they were. <clears throat> the New Testament tells us, even when Christianity began, 
on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the Jewish people that were gathered there in Jerusalem, the disciples, the 120, it says that other people were there because they had come from other countries, but they were Jewish people coming to celebrate a particular feast there in Jerusalem. And they heard these different languages being spoken, and they were drawn together and ended up where Peter preached the gospel message to them, and 3,000 people of them received Jesus Christ. So Christianity began with a Jewish population. And actually for another two, three years, all of the church at that time were Jewish. It wasn't until one day that God spoke to Peter and he said, there's a man that lives down the road a bit. His name is Cornelius. I want you to go to his house. And Peter's saying, Cornelius doesn't sound like a Jewish name. And so he didn't know whether he ought to cooperate with what he heard from the Lord or not. Sure enough, guys showed up at his door and said, we're from the house of Cornelius. We've been sent here to get Peter because he has a message for us. And so Peter, being a little uncertain about that situation, called some of his other men, and a group of Jewish men went to the house of Cornelius. They're introduced, and they want to hear what they have to say. So Peter stands up, and he begins to give a message from the Word of God. While he is speaking, these Gentile people in this house begin to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they experience the same thing that the Jewish people had experienced on the day of Pentecost. They begin speaking other languages, and Peter stopped his message and looked at the guys with him and said, what are we going to do with this? They're experiencing the same thing that we experienced. These are Gentiles. These are not Jewish people. And so he said, we probably ought to baptize them. They know the same love of Jesus that we know. And that was the beginning of Jewish and Gentile coming together. But it took some time for that to happen. And even wherever Paul went, he went to the Jewish population first. And after the Jewish population, then he would go to Gentiles. I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful that God opened his heart to the Gentiles too. Sound okay? Uh, I'm not Jewish. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that he included the other nations. My mother told me I'm Heinz 57. She, did, she said, you're a bunch of different nationalities put together. We don't even know how many you have in you. Uh, so that's just what happened in the Midwest. All the nations kind of come together and you can't tell anybody apart from one another. You have to move to Chicago or maybe out to the East Coast and, and nationalities are still prominent in groups here and there. But that isn't the way it was in the Midwest. Everybody looked like me, believe it or not. And a very different kind of a situation. Uh, it was an interesting thing to move to Chicago and then to move out to Brooklyn, New York and see that there are all kinds of cultures that uh, I needed to be aware of. Anyway... That's what he did. <clears throat> and so he, he's talking there to the people and uh, they received the Lord. It says there that they were spoken against everywhere. These are the Christian people, the, the sect that was spoken against. I don't know about you, but there's not an easy acceptance of Christianity today. There just isn't. Now we have a great group of people here, but when you go out into the marketplace, and you start talking to people, they're not all that interested in Christianity. They are, really, they're, they're interested in other things. They're interested in primarily selfish things. And 
Christianity is just the opposite of selfishness. Because what happened to us when we came into that relationship with Jesus and he loved us enough to forgive us our sin and to welcome us into his kingdom, that we were changed immediately. Things just were, were, were not the same at all. I don't know if you remember, but I still remember, and I go back to when I was 17 years old. Sometimes I still go back to that in my memory. When I came down to the church one Sunday night, Second time I'd been there and I knelt down by a chair and I said to myself, why am I here? I, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't know how to pray. Uh, fortunately, the pastor came down and said, young man, have you ever received Christ as your personal savior? And he led me to Christ that night and I confessed my sin to him and I received him as my personal savior. And I still don't remember a time of greater joy than that. I mean, I, I, I did walk out of that church, but I, I don't know if my feet were touching the ground or not. It was just, I felt wonderful. So I go back to that experience many times and I relive that. I don't know about you, but it's a great experience to, to know that you're forgiven, to know that you're accepted, to know that Christ now is in your life. And I had to learn a lot of things after that. Uh, probably the biggest thing that I've learned since then is that my life is no longer about myself. It really isn't. It's about Jesus living in me. And that truth needs to be continually conveyed, I think, to the church of Jesus Christ. Because I think the church of Jesus Christ today, as we, as we call it, many people come into salvation, come into the joy of the Lord, but they still have a lot of the world with them and they still think a lot of things are, are about them. We have a baptismal service coming up in a couple weeks, in fact, we have a class right after this service, and people that receive Christ need to be baptized. You know why? Because they need to go into a grave. They need to realize that they've died to themselves. That's what baptism's all about. As Christ laid down his life for us, we need to lay down our lives for one another. And the first step that we take in doing that is baptism. If you haven't been baptized as a Christian yet and you've received Christ as your Savior, you need to come over here at the end of the service and, and they're talking about baptism and you can be baptized in a couple of weeks because it's not about us any longer. We've died to ourselves and we've come alive to him and now he has a different purpose for us than we ever had in our life before. That make sense? Some of you don't like what I'm talking about today. I, I don't know why that is. Uh, you don't like to consider yourself as dead, but the Bible says that's where we begin life. It's no longer about me. It's no longer about what I would like to do. It's about surrendering to obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And wherever he calls me to go, that's where I need to go. Whatever he calls me to do, that's what I need to do. That's what Christianity is all about, is turning to him and allowing him to be Lord of my life. That sound okay? Okay, I've got more of you now on board. Hopefully we'll keep going in that direction. Again, if you haven't been baptized, join the group over here after service today and learn about baptism and take that step and you'll... You'll enjoy that as much as your salvation, maybe even more. It's a wonderful thing that God has given to us. But it's been spoken against everywhere. Sometimes people don't like us just because we're Christians. 
I don't know what you find in your workplace, but uh, I remember when I was in the workplace and I was working with people, and just because I was a Christian, I wasn't necessarily accepted by some people. I tried to be as loving as I could be. I tried to be as friendly as I could be uh, to people, but that still sometimes wasn't acceptable by some people because they don't, they speak against this everywhere. <clears throat> if you're a Democrat or a Republican, you seem to be more accepted, but if you're a Christian, that's not necessarily acceptable. And I don't know how you look at your political positions, but let me tell you, it's better not to be a Democrat or a Republican. It's better to be a Christian. There, there's another nation inside of the nation that is alive and doing well. And that's who we are, the Church of Jesus Christ. We are a nation, a kingdom within the nation that we live in. Uh, I don't know about you, but Rome was in charge of Jerusalem. They were over all of the territory that the Jews belonged to. They were in charge of everything. And so you had to learn how to live as a Christian in the Roman society. And that wasn't necessarily easy when they were taking the Christians and burning them at the stake. They didn't care about Christians very much. And I don't know if you have some family friends or maybe some people at work that would like to burn you at the stake. I don't know if that's true, but that's the way it was then, and I wouldn't be a bit surprised that that's the way it's now, because we just, we live by a different drummer. We hear a different God. We do different things than the people in the world, and that's not necessarily acceptable by everyone. <laughs> One time I was talking with a man who worked out at the, at the airport, <clears throat> JFK, and it used to be that, that you could just take anything you wanted, tools or whatever, and uh, you could just live life the way that everybody else did. Well, when he became a Christian, he could no longer do that. In fact, even when he took his lunch break, he one time took, after he became a Christian, took his wrappers and just threw them on the floor because that's what everybody did, and got up to walk back to work, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him, and he said, go back and pick up your junk from the floor. And he had never heard that before. So he went back and he picked up his stuff off the floor and took it to the garbage can, put it away, and God was happy with him that he did that. We act differently than the people in the world. We do different things because we serve a different God. And sometimes it's little things like that, but sometimes it's big things where he wants us to go, what he wants us to do, what he wants to communicate and say. And that's not necessarily acceptable by the world around us. If you take Christianity and you try to put it into context, I, I love what's going on in Asbury uh, with all of the revival that's happening down there, different schools, it's reaching out to other people. I, I've read different things and listened to different things as what's happening there. But Christianity seems to be on a move again. I pray that it will just continue. There's a movie out right now from the 1970s, and uh, it's about people coming to know Jesus Christ, young people all over the country. We had a revival even in Brooklyn, across to, to California. There were, my pastor in Chicago at that time says, he said, I can preach about anything, and people get saved. He said, it's just so amazing. God, it's the closest thing to revival that I've ever been a part of, but that hasn't been for a while and maybe that's coming back again uh, and sometimes we pray for political parties that there would be a Christian raised up in one party or another and and if that happens they're not very well acceptable they don't they're not acceptable because they belong to Jesus Christ 
read the reports about who gets into office or not. It's generally not a committed Christian. It's generally not somebody that's following the Lord and very vocal about that because that isn't what our nation is interested in. But we are a nation within a nation that have a powerful voice. And I'd like to encourage you this morning to use your voice to communicate with other people how God loves them, how God wants to forgive them, how God wants to bring them into a, into a relationship with him that will transform their lives into something that is more beautiful than they could ever imagine. He has a purpose and a plan for us that goes beyond our wildest imaginations. After that, it says in verse 23, when they had set a date for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. Now, I don't know how large his place was that he was renting. Maybe there was an overflow that happened with Jesus as well. I don't know. And it says, and he was exp explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. So here he took an entire day. The Jewish people went out and found other Jewish people. And they said, come and see this man. He's, he's written a book, and I don't know if you've read it or not, but we need to go hear him because he has some views that we want to hear about. He has some views about Moses. He has some views about uh, the law of God. So let's go listen. Well, he had a captive audience for an entire day. Not too willing of an audience to hear what he had to say, we find out. But he shared with them, testifying about what God did in his life and telling them what the law had to say to them. Do you know there's over 300 references in the Old Testament to Jesus Christ? 300 references. Well, he used those references to relate to the Jewish population that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one that, prom that was promised by God the Father to come and redeem us and to set us free. And he was going on and on and on, and they listened for an entire day. It had to be at least eight hours. Maybe it was 10 hours. Maybe it was 12 hours. I don't know how long morning to evening was at that time. But they were willing to sit there. Now, you've come this morning, and you're willing to be here for an hour and a half or so. You willing to come maybe for an entire day? From time to time, we do plan things because we want a worship event from time to time. We want to teach people how to worship better. We have different conferences from time to time, and we want people to experience greater things in God. Sometimes you need to even make plans to go to another place that is doing some kind of a conference to help your Christian life to grow and to develop the way God wants it to grow. Here from morning to evening, Paul the Apostle shared. I would have liked to have been there myself, but I wasn't born then, so I have to just read what he said in Romans and hopefully find out what he said, some of it. But anyway, from morning to evening. Now, what happened after that? It says in verse 24, some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. Now, we have a voice, and when we share our testimony, when we talk about who God is to us, some will believe and some won't believe. Some won't even like you because you're a Christian. <laughs> some will turn their backs on you because they don't, want, they don't want to be threatened by what you're telling them. All kinds of things come out of that. But it says there that some believed and some would not believe. 
Verse 25, and when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken this parting word. He had a parting word for them. And I think this is the, the most important parting word we can look at today. It says, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers. And this is what he said. Go to this people and say this. You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You'll keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their eyes they scarcely hear, excuse me, with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed eyes. So here's almost a condemnation. He says, I know you're leaving me right now, and I know some believe and some don't believe, but let me tell you what Isaiah says. Well, Isaiah was an important prophet to them, and so they listen. I don't know how many heard this and said, wow, have we become dull? Don't we really hear? Don't we really see? Do we understand the things that God has given to us? And Paul was quoting this saying, no, you don't. I pray when I come to share with you on Sunday mornings that you'll have not only ears to hear but eyes to see and most of all a heart to respond to whatever God is saying. We come here to worship God, and I think that's great. We have a great worship team, amen? And they lead us in worship, and it's a great experience. But when it comes to the preaching of God's word, how do you receive that? How do you respond to that? I'd like to encourage you to, to take notes. We have notes for you every Sunday. <laughs> Put down what God is saying to you. It doesn't matter what your neighbor is writing down. It matters what you write down. What is God saying to you on a Sunday morning? We come to hear from God. And sometimes we have ears to hear, but we're not really hearing. Sometimes we have eyes to see, but we're not really seeing what God... And sometimes we don't understand. I'm amazed that sometimes when we leave this place, that we leave the same way as when we came in. To me, that fits with Isaiah right here. We hear, we see but we don't understand, we don't perceive, sometimes our hearts are dull. Maybe you didn't get enough sleep last night. I don't know. Maybe you didn't like the breakfast that you had this morning. Maybe there's other things going on. And There's a lot of people here. There's a lot of things going on in a lot of people's lives and a lot of things that just don't connect with what God is actually saying by his Holy Spirit to us. I pray for each one of us as we come together on Sundays, whether I'm preaching or whether Pastor Daniel, Pastor Sal, whoever's preaching, I pray that God would use the words that they have to touch our hearts, to change our minds, to change our thinking, to lead us into a greater experience of what God has for us. That's why we're here. The Bible says from glory to glory, he's changing us. When was the last time? that the glory of God showed up in your life and actually changed you in some degree. I hope it's happening week by week. I hope it's happening month by month. Maybe it's even happening day by day. But I pray that God would use his word to speak to me, that, we might, that I might respond to him in a new and a fresh way. I tell you, 
since my salvation, the next thing that I like best is when I take God's word and I'm reading through it with devotion or just study and all of a sudden there's a phrase that comes alive or there's a scripture that comes alive, a, a verse that comes alive to me and I, I want to take some notes on that. I want to circle words because God now is speaking to me personally. I trust that's happening in your life. There's nothing better than getting saved than that. Okay, getting saved is first, but having the word of God come alive to you as though God were speaking to you himself. There's nothing better than that. And so read God's word. Allow him to speak to you. Allow him to, to declare in your life what he wants to do. Don't be dull of hearing. Don't have eyes to see, but not really perceiving. Don't have a heart that's dull and, and not really understanding what God has. Pursue the Lord. Pursue him. That's why we talk about daily devotions where we come to God's word and, and we say, God, speak to me today. Guide me today. Lead me in the path that you would have me to go. It's no longer my life that I want to live. I want to live in obedience to your life, what you have for me. Be encouraged this morning because there's better things that he says in this particular chapter, in the particular Isaiah, what he's saying. It goes on and says, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and I will heal them. Almost condemnation to begin with there, but then it comes back and says, if you have eyes and if you have ears, and if you have a heart that's open to God, God's going to bring healing into your life. And I don't think that just means physical healing, even though that's a great, great thing in our life. I think it's a spiritual healing in our lives where we continue to be changed like his word says we get changed into his likeness and into his image. You know, they called them Christians in the New Testament uh, when they became alive to Christ. They thought it was a derogatory term but when the people started being common Christians, they said, we kind of like that because it's no longer saying who I am as an individual, but it's actually relating me to my Savior, Christ himself. And so they took that upon themselves, and we've been called Christians ever since. Not in a derogatory term, although some people look at it like that, but in a positive way that I'm becoming more like Jesus. So my question today is, are we becoming more like Jesus? Is that the process that we're in? Are we just going through life, experiencing life day by day and becoming more like the world maybe? I guess sea law is a good word to put in there. <laughs> what are we doing? How are we thinking? How are we, how are we opening our lives day by day to him? The word of God is very clear. It goes on and says there in verse 26, 28, therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, they will also listen. It's going to, from the Jewish population, now it's going to the Gentile population. And I'm glad that it did because that included me, included you, most of you. He brings us into a place where salvation is for everyone. And we know that's why Jesus came. He didn't come to die just for the Jewish population. He came to die, it says in God's word, for the world. He laid down his life that any that would respond to him would come to him and be forgiven, receive eternal life. That's what Jesus came for. He came to give us life itself. He goes on in verse 29 and says, 
When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having great dispute among themselves. They didn't walk away saying, Paul is a ridiculous man to listen to. No, they were arguing with one another because some received the message and were born again, and others rejected the message, and now they were having a great dispute among themselves. They now didn't like each other, and yet they were the same nationality. <laughs> I remember when an Italian person received Jesus as his personal savior and went home and told him what God had done for him as an Italian. And he came back to church and he says, Italians no longer like me. <laughs> he said, I thought I was saying something good, but he said, when I shared my testimony with even my own family, they wanted to reject the things that I had experienced. And he says, I don't know if I want to be an Italian anymore, but I can't change that. <laughs> he said, I've become a Christian. And that's what happens when you become a Christian. You're changed. You're no longer the same. You're living for a different purpose. You're living for something beyond yourself. That's why we baptize people. We put them into a watery grave and said, from this time forward, consider yourself dead. That sound all right? Some people are okay with that. When I talk to men and women that want to become married. I always tell the husband, I said, you understand this means when you get married that you're going to die to yourself. You understand that, right? And some of the guys look at me and said, you're kidding, right? <laughs> no, the Bible says, as Christ laid down his life for us, that we need to lay down our lives for our wives. They become the most important person in our lives now. We now serve them and not yourself. And I've talked about five couples out of getting married because of stuff like that. <laughs> because they say, I, we, uh, Dad, no, we don't want to do that. They want to keep living their lives and they want a partner to go along with them. Well, wives as well, it says submit yourselves to your husband like you're submitting yourself to Jesus Christ. You mean I have to follow my husband? Well, you have a voice, yeah, but whatever his decision is, that's your decision. Hallelujah. <laughs> you want harmony in your marriage? Do it like Christ and the bridegroom. All of us in this room, if we receive Christ, we're part of the bridegroom of Jesus Christ. We're in that submission area. He's our Lord. He's the one that dictates to our life, and we're simply the ones that submit to that and follow his direction. That sound okay? Some of you like that. Some of you, I don't know. It's weird kind of concept, but it's all Bible. That's what he calls us to be. We're the bride of Christ, and we need to follow his direction in our life. What does that mean to us? Well, it goes on in the next verse, verse 30. It says, and he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who had come to him. Paul couldn't go out of his rented quarters. He was chained and he was obligated to stay with his Roman guard. But when he shared his faith with those that came to him, they would go out and find others and they would bring them to him as well. Back in the 70s, we started not we, I think God started this, home Bible studies. The first one we went to was out of a, a, a single mother's 
house. She lived in a basement. She came and asked the pastors to come and, and uh, share the gospel with her neighbors. She would invite them to come in. And we told her, well, you live in a basement house. If you can find somebody in your community that has a house that's not in the basement, we'll come to your house. And so the next week she came back and she said, I found a neighbor. I didn't know whether the, were the neighbor's a Christian or not, but she opened her home and said we could come and have a Bible study. So we went and there were like six people there the first night. And uh, the following week there was nine people there. The following week there was like a dozen people there. And it just continued to grow. In the 1970s, there was a man and a woman that moved up to Nanuet New, New City area. And his name was Cora Titlin. His wife's name was Helen. And we used to come up from Brooklyn to have a home Bible study in their house. And it started with maybe 10, 12 people. And then it grew a little bit more, and then it grew a little bit more until 65 people were meeting in their home. 65 people. And out of that, we started what is now called Grace Point Gospel Fellowship. God, God wants to do some things. And I want to challenge you this morning as to what, how you're living your Christian life. Number one, I, I want to challenge you to say it's no longer about me, but it's about God's purpose and plan in my life. If that's true, then we need to start thinking, maybe even praying, God, who do you want me to talk to this week? Who do you want me to communicate with? Because the best thing you can do is communicate your testimony with somebody else that doesn't know Jesus. We had a couple girls in the Brooklyn church that worked in Manhattan, and after they became Christians, they decided, why don't we pray together? And so they prayed together, the two of them that worked in the same office, and they prayed for one individual that they worked with. A whole week they prayed for that person. The next week, after a week of prayer, they would invite that person to lunch with them. And they would sit down with them and they'd say, the reason why we wanted to have lunch with you is to share what God has done in our life. And then both of them would share their testimonies. And out of that, person after person after person received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They were intentional about who they wanted to pray for and what they wanted to see God do in their workplace. I want to encourage you today, not that you would do that, but you would do something. Pray and ask God, who would you want me to talk to this next week? Who is it that, that is open to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe it's one of the people at work that you have a hard time with. <laughs> it can be anybody. But pray and ask God to show you who the next person is that you should communicate with. Because God wants to use you for his glory in communicating the gospel to others. Barna, who does a lot of research for Christianity, has come up with a list of what happens in the church. And he's done a study on who will do these kind of things. And basically he's found out that between 5 and 7% of any church are willing to pray and reach out with their testimonies to tell somebody else about who Jesus is. Five to seven percent. I quite frankly think it ought to be a hundred percent of us. That ought to be somewhere conscious about sharing the life that God has given to us. Paul was super intentional. He was going to prison. <laughs> 
even though it was a house that he was living in. He was still chained. He still had a guard around him. But he still considered himself, if you read the book of Ephesians that he wrote from, from that prison, he said, I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he saw things. I'm a prisoner of Christ, and I'm here because Christ has brought me here. I, I live in this house. I live in this place because God has brought me into this place. Has God brought you to live where you're living? Has God brought you into the, into the workplace where you work? Has God brought you into the community where you live? And does God want to use you as salt and light to reach out to somebody else? Again, Selah, think about that. I want to encourage you today. I'm not, I'm not just challenging you. I want to encourage you. You have something that the world desperately needs. You really do. You have life itself in you. And others outside of us in Rockland County don't know that. They haven't experienced that. They haven't even heard that. They live in a country that used to be called Christian. Our country is no longer a Christian country. The only Christian aspect that we have is when we come together on Sundays and maybe meet each other here and there during the week, but God wants to use us as salt and light as we're scattered into our homes and into businesses that actually transform other people's lives. I don't think God just wants to build one church. I think he wants to build his church. And these are days, I believe, of possible revival. It's happening to a certain sense. Even the movie that came out back in the 70s, uh, that's, people are talking about that. People are communicating about that. How would they maybe now open their hearts even more so to the testimony that you have? Yeah, that happened to me too. That happened to me. And tell your story about how God changed your life. And tell them, even pray for them, that God can change their life. How much can we do in our lifetime of expanding the kingdom of God. I think we could do a great deal. Look at the number of people that are here. If we would go out this week and if each one of us would just talk to one person, how many people would respond to the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior? I don't know, but I think it would be several. I really do. God has a plan and he wants to bring it about, and the only plan he has is us. He brought us to himself, and he says, now it's up to you. Last verse, verse 31, the closing of the book of Acts. He says, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Openness means with boldness. How many are bold today? I'll wait. <laughs> some of us aren't so bold we're in the five to seven percent I don't know if we can do that or not well God will use you if you'll surrender to him boldness and being unhindered this is the apostle Paul while he was in jail while he was in chains in Rome he wanted to share the gospel with any that he could he couldn't go out but he can invite people to come in, and they did. And I just wonder what God wants to do in your life, through our lives, to touch other people's lives today. Notice that there's no ending to this book. It doesn't conclude. 
And the reason it doesn't conclude because the acts of the Holy Spirit want to continue on through the ages and ages until other people, till the world hears about who Jesus Christ is. And the only way they're going to hear is through our mouths and through our testimony of what God has done. Sound good? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who loves us unconditionally. Thank you, Lord, that you've touched our lives, that you've come into us, that we've chosen to die to ourselves. We've chosen to live for you. We've chosen to do the work that you called us to do. We've chosen to live lives that are different from the lives and people around us. Lord, we want to be servants. We want to be yielded to you. We want to surrender to your purpose and plan. So we pray, Lord God, that you would use us. Lord, you've touched us. You've changed us. You've reordered our whole lives. And so, Lord, take and use that to reorder other people's lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and let's worship the Lord. And we'll come back for a final word here.